This is Faith and Fable, a pastoral podcast where we discuss common and often controversial topics from a biblical perspective. I'm Mark. I'm Matt Henry. I'm Matt Miller. And I'm Lena. We are talking about the Trinity again today, but before we do that, just got to shamelessly ask you to keep on sending those rates and the reviews on iTunes because it really helps us get get this content out to more people. Um, If you like this, I mean, this is like our 14th episode on the Trinity. Yeah, so if you're serious? sticking with us, you're a big fan. No, I'm kidding. If you're sticking with us, you're a big fan. So leave us a review. Feels like it. It's good stuff. Hey, 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 hey. It's good stuff. No, I never said it's bad. I'm just saying it feels like it was 14 episodes of the Trinity. <laughs> well, we're almost done. You really like I think the, we have two you more. You like the Trinity. You like this. Yeah. If you more. like this, then review it. Yeah, please. I, we, I read them. Read them all? Yeah. I do. I, well, I, a couple of them are just being silly, but some of them have been downright helpful. Yeah. So, please do. It is nice to hear. We would appreciate it. Yeah. All right. So, we did our review request, right? So, That's now over. we can do our Trinity talk. Now we talk. can move on to the next part. <laughs> All right. So, but we're going to talk about the economic Trinity, which is pretty darn exciting stuff, if you ask me. As opposed to? The ontological Trinity. Which is? Not fascinating. Which, I was going to say, you well, guys go Which is what? Those, the those ontological or yeah. economic? Yeah. Beyond ontological. That's the essence of his being, God, yeah. God's being, versus the economic, which is? What he does. That's right. In his constituent parts. Yes. Although, can you say parts? See, I would. I would. I was going to overlook that. Oh, well, I thought maybe if somebody reviews, they could rebuke us. Forbearance. <laughs> yeah. In their constituent personhood. There you go. I'll accept that. All right. So anyhow, the economic trinity. We talked about it last time a little bit. It's just the idea of um, though each person of the trinity is completely equal and fully God, each one of them also functions differently within that triune Godhead. And that's what we're going to talk about. And I think it's helpful because we oftentimes uh, mess up in understanding who's doing what and uh, how things function, and in the process, I, I think we do a disservice to the person of God. So, uh, get used to the term economic trinity. It's weird sounding, but it's actually a good term. Um, and we want to hopefully help you out in the next two podcasts on how the Father works, the Son works, and the Spirit. And today is going to be a very short one. It's just going to be on the Father as we introduce this, and then we'll deal with the Son and the Spirit, right? Yeah. So when we're talking about the economy of the father, the economics of the father, um, basically we would simply say that he's the source of ideas or the fountainhead right. from which all the eternal decrees came forth, right? So what's a decree? So what's an eternal decree? It's, it's a sovereign decision by the father uh, that he has made concerning all things external to himself. In other words, everything else. Right. Um, uh, and involves all things, therefore nothing's missed, nothing exists or occurs apart from those decrees. And we should get into that 
another time. Did we did we deal with that very much on the will of God? The which part? The his decrees. I'm trying uh, to remember that yeah. was a while ago. We well, we dealt with the two his, wills of God and we dealt with his decorative will. Right. But did we get into I think we touched on it. Touched on it, but maybe we could uh, develop that. Sure. Yeah, sounds good. But anyhow, uh, it the the thing that you want to understand when you're dealing with a father is that he is the one. It is him who is expressing those decrees. Uh, the son doesn't, um, and the spirit doesn't. So we have a passage like Isaiah 14, verses 26 and 7. It says that this is a plan devised against the whole earth, and this is the hand that stretched out against all all the nations. For the Lord of hosts is planned, and who can frustrate it? And as for his stretched out hand, who can turn it back? So just this idea of here's Yahweh, and he is the one who has determined what shall be, and no one can frustrate the plans of our Lord, which gets into that whole issue of free will too. Right, right. Uh, another one would be Daniel 4, 34 through 35. Uh, it says, but at the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, but he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And no one can ward off his hand or say to him, what have you done? So here's one saying that all that happens in both heaven and on earth, God does. Right. And because it is his degree his creatures do not have the right to respond back in the sense of a complaint or a challenge, right? right? Yeah. And then since Ecclesiastes is near and dear to you, why don't you read? Sure. Uh, in Ecclesiastes 3, there's that famous passage, a time for this, a time for that, time, you know, the birds. I think in the 60s made a song out was of that. Was that? It wasn't the Beatles? No, it was the birds. Oh, no. I, I never know who sings what. Yeah. Uh, so essentially they just ripped off this poem from Ecclesiastes. But the in verse 1 it says, There is an appointed time for everything, and there is a time for every event under heaven. And then you get the poem, you know, time to be born, a time to die, a time to plan, a time to uproot, so on and so forth. And then in verse 11, he has made everything appropriate in its time. And so the poem is sandwiched by this language of appointed. Mm-hmm. And basically in that poem then it's every aspect of heaven and earth all that happens in creation, that God is appointing this in his providence. Which is frightening on one level, um, and yet comforting in another one. Uh, I find it helpful as a pastor just using passages like that to let people understand that um, we may not understand everything, but it's, there's not a mistake. Well, especially when you think about him as father, you know. Well, and, yeah, and we're going to get into that. Yeah. Um, that, it, yeah, it's not just God. But our Father right. has done these things. So when we're talking about the roles that the Father does, probably the best way to look at it is uh, first and foremost in the act of redeeming sinners. And so the very first one would be the the act of election. The Son is not the one who elects us unto salvation. The Spirit is not the one. It's the Father. Lena, would you be willing to read First uh, Peter one? Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, that you may obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in fullest, fullest measure. 
All right. Sorry, I, I didn't even realize you had the weird Sorry, names I'm there. Sorry, I'm a professional. Um, but I remember when I preached through First Peter and, and just diagramming this out, the, the main verb is who are elect or chosen. And, and so he's dealing with those who are the elect. And then it says that they are elect according to the Father's foreknowledge. And so this is a great passage because it deals with the Father, Son, and Spirit. But specifically there, we see that the electing work came from the Father, uh, not the Son or the Spirit. Yeah. Uh, another one similar would be Ephesians 1, 3 through 4, which says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. Um, so this one... Um, you know, it says, just as he chose us, this is the work of the Father. Well, where did he choose us? Well, in him, meaning Christ, his Yeah, son. you have to work out those pronouns. Yeah, but um, I like this one, too, because not only um, do you see more aspects of the Godhead than just the Father, but also the controlling idea there is blessed be. Right. And so it fills out Paul's praise in his worship. And notice it's to the Father. Right. Um, so yeah. he's praising the Father, not Jesus Christ, um, not the Spirit, but the Father, for what? For his electing choosing work. And we're going to see that again in Philippians 2, a little bit uh, further down, but exactly right. Um, again, this gets into that little drum that we tend to beat a lot, and that is that in this Christ-centered um, kind of movement that we have, though I think there's so much that you can say that's good, in the, in the process, somehow we fail to understand that the scripture is always pointing us to give thanks and praise to the Father because yeah. he's the one driving this whole thing. Mm -hmm. yeah. and, and that's what we're showing. So, first of all, we saw that it's the Father who is the one who determined to elect us unto salvation. So, when you think about election, you give thanks to not the Son or the Spirit. You give thanks to the Father who, in his mercy, chose us. Yeah. Um, then predestination uh, unto adoption. That's another wonderful Aspect And right away in Ephesians 1, 4, and 5, it says, In love, he predestined, he is the father here again, to adoption as sons, again, through Jesus Christ, but to himself, uh, according to the kind intention of his will. That's just dripping with yeah. mercy. I mean, it's in love that he did this. Um, he brought us into sonship, and it's all in accordance to that kind intention. It's just a yeah. sweet, sweet passage. Mm -hmm. Another one is in John 3, uh, verse 1. Um, well, 1 John 3, 1. See how great the love of the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Um, again, he's just calling these people to look at what God the Father has done. Um, and what has he done? He's made us children. Yeah. Um, and then we get into the sending. You know, why did Christ come to die? Um, and everyone in Sunday school at least when I was a kid, memorized John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, they gave us his only begotten son. Um, we, we were thankful for the son, very much thankful, but, but we should be giving thanks to the father because in his love, he gave us his son. Um, or 1 John four fourteen, we have seen and testified that the father has sent the son to be the savior of the world. So again, why, why, why did Christ come? It's not just because he had pity. It was the grace of the Father sending him. Yeah. Um, another one would be the, the crucifying, raising, and exalting of the Son. You want to read Acts 2, 23 through 24? Sure. 
This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. Okay, so this is that, that great sermon by Peter at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And he's looking at the Jews here and he's saying, this man, talking about Jesus, um, who they didn't recognize as the Christ, but is, was de delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. And then what did that look like? Well, it looked like him being nailed to a cross by the right. hands of ungodly men. Uh, and so again, the, this predetermining plan is in accordance to God, predetermining in due to his foreknowledge or right. we won't talk about what that term means, but. I'm looking forward <laughs> to preaching that here in a few weeks. Yeah. Well, it'll be more well, in a few weeks, but. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Let's be real. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've only got one more to do in Genesis. I'm and really then looking I go forward to that Acts. too. Really, just one more? I thought you were going to do two. Maybe three. No, I think it's going to be one. All right. People can tune into missiodayfellowship.org <laughs> and they can hear our sermons if they want. Um, another one is if you ask any person off just in church and you say, who is our Savior? They're going to say Jesus, Right. And yet the Bible actually says that not only is Christ our Savior, but the Father is our Savior. And in Jude, well, it's, there's no chapter, so it's chapter 1 in verse 24. It says, to the only God, our Savior, and through Jesus Christ. And so again, we have the Father being described as the one who is our Savior. Because behind everything that Christ did for us, it was the will of the Father that he did yeah. those things. Because... In John 5, he makes it clear that nothing he does is contrary right. to the will of the Father. He only came to do the will of the Father. So when you're thinking about Christ as Savior, that's true and right and good. But, but expand that and recognize that the Bible also asserts that your Father yeah. is your Savior. Yeah, another one would be the giving of eternal life. So this is what you're saved unto. First uh, John 5, 11, and the testimony is this that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. And so obviously it ends there with his Son, which implies that, that God here, at the beginning of the verse, has to be the Father. And so it's the Father who's given us eternal life. How? Right. By means of his Son. Now, in all of this, they're already seeing, in many ways, the idea of the Trinity, because over and over again, we've seen in close proximity, Christ, right? So Christ is certainly involved in our salvation as well, which we already know. We're just trying to show the people that in the economic outworking of the Trinity, it's the Father who's driving this whole thing. So another thing would be then the giving to his, the giving to his son, those whom he will save. Now, you can go through John chapter 6, and you can see this over and over again. I'm just going to quote one passage in John 6, 37. It says that all that the Father gives me will come to me, and then he goes on to say, and in no wise shall I cast them out. So, who did Christ come to die for? Well, we can say the world, but in John 6, he explicitly says that he has come to lay his life down for the people that the Father has given him. So, he came to the earth because there is a people given to him by the Father. And so, again, that's humbling. That lets me know that I was on the mind of God, that which blows me away. Yeah. Uh, when he sent his son into the world, that I was one of those given mm -hmm. that his son would redeem. And if that doesn't move you to some sort of emotion, you're, you're just cold. <laughs> yeah. uh, another one, 
uh, talking about redemptive works, he causes us to be born again. First uh, Peter 1 and verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again, for what purpose? To a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So again, w- what's Peter's motivation for praise here? Blessed be God the Father for, for what? Well, because according to his great mercy, the Father's mercy, he's causing us to be born again. Yeah. So just like he causes all things to be come into being and be born in, in a, the same way, when it, in a spiritual sense, he's causing us to be born again. And I don't know if all makes sense. I'm going to try to make sense um, in what I say. But in all of these passages, what stands out to me is they're not, they're not like reading the systematic theology. They're not just simply stating a theological state uh, truth. Um, it's wrapped up with a lot of emotion and kindness and mercy. I mean, it's according to his great mercy, not even just mercy. It's great mercy. You know, it's he made us his sons. He's done all these things, all this work that the father has ordained. Uh, it just drips with mercy, kindness, grace, and love. And for me, as I study the economic trendy, the thing that begins to happen in my own soul um, as I was writing out the script, in fact, I was just being reminded again of how kind he has been to us. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, it moved me to giving thanks to him. But that's not the only thing the Father does, right? Right. Yeah, there's several other things the Scripture talks about um, when it comes to what, what the Father is doing. And one of them is he gives glory and honor to his Son. Uh, some passages for this, 2 Peter 1 and verse 17, for when he received honor and glory from God the Father. Um so the he there is in reference to the right, son. Right. Um, so he received honor and glory from whom? God, which you have to read there. Well, I mean, explicitly states is the father. Right. But also in John 17, I mean, I, I won't quote it, but I'll, I'll make a paraphrase of it. When, when Christ is giving that final prayer before his crucifixion, he says, you know, glorify him once again. He says, with the glory that I once had before I became a man, basically is what he's saying. And so he's not saying, I'm going to take up my glory, excuse me, but rather he's saying, Father, give me back now that glory. And so he understood where that glory was coming from as well, that it's, it, the source comes from the Father to his Son. Um, And there's a lot of mystery wrapped up in that. Right. Um, And we see that filled out then in uh, Philippians 2, 9 through 11. Uh, when Paul writes, he says, For this reason also God highly exalted him, meaning the Son, and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, and then to the glory of God the Father. Right. So, right. There's not a period at the end of confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There's right for a purpose. And it's an interesting passage because it's talking about where God is bestowing once again that in you know that glory back to the Son, but then it ends to the glory of God the Father. So what is this glory of God the Father? Well, it's His Son exalted, right? Which makes when I was uh, looking at that passage, I was thinking of your sermon on the baptism of Jesus, where He says, "This is my beloved Son," yeah. um, and now He has come to do my will. I mean, now I'm preaching, right? But He's come to do my will. He will go and save the people I've chosen. He will gather them. He will not lose one of them. He will bear away all of their sin. He will take their death upon himself. He will suffer the death, rise again. And as a result of all that, my beloved son is, was then highly exalted. 
um, to my praise. Yeah, that's it's just that's a cool passage. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's one uh, beyond just the salvation he gives that glory, but he also maintains our life. So our life in Christ is not just something that happens, but the Father is at work. So again, back to Jude at the very end, he says, now to him, and he's talking about the Father here, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So, again, why is it that a person perseveres in his faith? Um, why does he enter into heaven? An Arminian will say that you kept the faith and that, you know, you did not sin so as to fall away. And I would just simply say, depending on what you mean, I'll, I'll agree with you. But the, the bottom line reason is that the Father kept me from stumbling so as to fall away. Yeah. And th- Again, we'll deal with that in another podcast. Yeah. Uh, Similar along those lines, Philippians 1 and verse 6. For I am confident of this very thing. So he has assurance. And what is it? That he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Uh, Just talking about that certainty of God causing these people to persevere yeah until that day. I'm glad you said people because that you there is a plural. And he's, he's not talking about just, we, we usually apply this to me as an individual. God's not finished with me. He's going to perfect it. But he's actually writing to the church in Philippi, and he says, you as a group, God will finish that work. And, um, and he will bring you to it, your completion. And that's, again, a point of encouragement. And it reminds us that we were saved individually, but we're saved into this corporate existence in Christ Jesus. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, how about comforting the afflicted? Uh, I use this constantly when, I mean, the longer you pastor, the more you find that you appreciate Second Corinthians 1, 3, and 4. He said, again, praise or blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort who comforts us in our affliction. Now, it goes on to talk about, therefore, we are able to comfort those who are afflicted. But one of the things that he gives us is, in those times of affliction, and I've witnessed it, where people are truly under the affliction of sin or a fallen world or whatever it might be, that the Father has a way of coming alongside them in a, it's mysterious, I think, uh, but in a wonderful way of, of bringing them comfort. They're at rest because their soul, uh, what's the song, it's well with, is well with my soul? Yeah, you know, that my soul is at rest because of what God has done. And so it's okay. It hurts. I might might be filled with tears, but there's this comfort that comes with it. Yeah. Uh, and then another one is um, he gives us all good things. And this, of course, comes from James 1 uh, and verse 17. Every good thing, so every good thing, not just most, but every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there's no variation or shifting shadow. And obviously this is written in the context of trials. Yeah, that's and, what gets missed all the time because it gets ripped out of context. Yeah. yeah, and you know, the note here is good things are not always pleasant things. Right. And so it's even in the midst of those trials and temptations that there are many good things that come to those who are his children. Well, I remember preaching this early, early, early on as pastor um, and I used my own motorcycle accident as a illustration of that and how God used the the injuries that I received as a way to one discipline me 
and I knew I was being disciplined because I was disobedient, but also that even to this day, whenever my knee hurts or whatever, um, or I see the scars, I'm reminded again of his kindness, that he yeah. used that and he did that in such a way because he loves me as his child. He, he disciplined me, but he also keeps me constantly reminded because of the injury um, yeah. of, of his mercy. And, and it, it's good. It wasn't fun at all. Yeah. <laughs> Trust me, it, it hurt like the devil, but it, it was good and it is good. And I find more and more people, once they endure truly a trial, not what they call trials, but really it was just mild irritation, um, that they begin to see, one, that God gives them comfort, and it was a good thing, and they're thankful for it. Yeah. So a lot of scriptures here. Right, uh, right. just kind of ticked them off. But the point to understand is, um, you know, when, when we're talking about God as Father and the way he, he functions and works in practical terms in time, space, and history— is he's always coming with kindness and grace as a father to those who are his children, which are Christians. Um, and so when we're thinking about it, you know, we can often make the mistake of thinking everything's about Jesus, as you've already mentioned. Um, but it's not. Everything's about the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. Um, and so it's important to, uh, or right, to praise different members of the Trinity for their different works within creation. And so these are all reasons that you ought to praise the Father. Um, when it comes to the Father, we can make that mistake sometimes of thinking he's really angry with us. That's it's, so common. Yeah. And so Jesus is then the one who placates yeah. the father. Or if you're a good Catholic, Jesus is also angry with you. So you need to go through his mother. Which is really <laughs> oh, infuriating. Is that right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, no son can deny his mother. Yeah. That's right. the, the oh. reasoning. So there. why go to Christ? Go to his mother because Jesus can't deny Mary. So Mary will get, get you in. That makes sense. It's, it's, it's evil. Yeah. So, I mean, we've done a lot of episodes on certain things. And so while, while it is true and right to say that the Father is filled with wrath, uh, can't minimize that one either, it's, but it, it's equally right to say that he's also filled with pity and compassion and grace and mercy. Uh, and then, of course, that out of that, flowing out of that, in his love, he sent his son to redeem right. his people. I, I, I've used that in sermons at times where I'm, I'm talking about, like in the Psalms when I was preaching to them, about his wrath, his, ang his anger, um, his indignation. And I'm like, the gospel is strange in that way because on one side you see this wrathful God because of your sin, your disobedience, yeah. your rebellion. But then his answer is flee to me. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so to avoid yeah, the wrath. Come to, come to me, right. and I will give you rest. Yeah. Um, and 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 you're going to come through His Son, and and by the by the Spirit. But you you are to come to the Father, because He is also the God of great mercy. Right. And um, and we have to see that. So we have the Father; He's the one who gathers and gives the people to His Son. Beyond that, He even keeps us in His grasp for all eternity. So one of our favorite verses uh, in my family was John 10, 29. It says, my father, Jesus speaking here, who gave them, again, here's that idea. These are my sheep and God has given, the father has given them to me. He says, the, my father who gave them to me is greater than all and no man can snatch them out of my father's hand. So he's already said, I keep them in my hand, but my father yeah. doubly keeps you and no one can snatch you. That's why we're so safe. You're pretty safe. Yeah. So with that, that's that's just a small glimpse into the works of the Father. And then what we'll do next week is the, the Son, Son and Spirit. Spirit. And we're going to see a lot of overlap, but they're all distinct. 
and yeah. you don't want to say you don't want to confuse them and all of it as we've already said numerous times tonight um it's all to the praise and glory of the father awesome like and share Thank you.